Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy that you have brought into the world through the person of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that uh, this Christmas season, that our hearts would feel something of the joy that, uh, that we ought to feel when we consider uh, who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Who do we find uh, in the manger? Who is the person uh, born on Christmas? You know, ultimately, that is the only question that means anything uh, at Christmas time. All of the other trappings of the holidays, the gifts and the family and the songs, all of it uh, pales in comparison to the central question Who is in the manger? What's happened there? And how does it affect? All of us. You know, the story is told that in the December of 1903, after uh, many failed attempts, the Wright brothers successfully launched the first flight uh, into, into the air with one of their flying machines that finally worked. Thrilled at this news, they telegraphed uh, their message back home to their sister Catherine. They wrote her, uh, We have actually flown 120 feet. We will be home for Christmas. Catherine then hurried to the editor of the local paper, and she told them the news. My brothers flew 120 feet, and they'll be home for Christmas. To which the editor replied, oh, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. This is is great news. If you looked at the newspaper headlines uh, that week, they all centered around how crowded the shops were at Christmas time, how hectic a Christmas season it was going to be. And they missed, of course, the major headline, that a human being had flown, right? Maybe the invention uh, that changed the the century more than any other in the the shape of human life within it. They missed entirely due to the sentimentality of Christmas and how nice and, and warm it would make them to have them home for the holidays. They missed the world changing good news. And each of us, I think, we today are in in just as much danger of missing the news, missing the good news of Christmas. So wrapped up are we in all the meals that we have to cook and the travel that we have to do and the things that have to come together that we can miss out on the fact that news has happened, good news has been announced that changes the scope of human history far more deeply and profoundly than the Wright brothers making that first flight. The news of who is actually in the manger. And that's what that last reading uh, that Anna read for us so beautifully from the book of Hebrews. What the author of Hebrews is trying to explain to us is who was born that day. Who came to earth that day. And he uses the language uh, that his fellow Hebrews, his fellow Israelites would have recognized. That born that day was the one that they had been waiting for for millennia the one who would be for them their true prophet, their greatest high priest, and the world's true king. First, the author tells them that this is the true prophet that they've been waiting for. When he says, long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You know, the the story of the Bible tells the story of a God who wants to be known by his human creatures. Right? God does not make us and then leave us here 
in a world that just runs itself and leave us here to try to find our way back to him, to try to guess or to speculate at what he's like. No, the scriptures tell the story of a God who wants to be known, who wants to be known as he really is by the people that he created and loved. And now he's revealed himself to us in his, in his creation, in nature, right? There's a certain amount of who God is that you can grasp simply by walking out along the beach, or maybe going to the mountains or looking up at the sky and the stars. You can tell something about his majesty, his greatness, his creativity. You can tell something of what he's like. But that wasn't enough for him. He wanted you to know more about who he was than just what you could deduce from the world around you. And so he sent teachers. He sent what in the Old Testament were called prophets, one after the other after the other, to tell you more, to tell his people more about what he's like to tell them about his justice and his righteousness and his mercy and his love, that God has sent teachers, has sent people to make himself known to other people. But the author of Hebrews says that something different has happened in the birth of Jesus. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the the whole world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. What he's saying is this, is that God spoke at other times through other teachers, through other prophets. But in the Son, he's spoken in the Son. He's spoken by the Son. That the Son is the exact representation of who God is and what he's like. You see, Christians uh, informed by the scriptures don't just claim that Jesus was a teacher, not even that he was a great prophet in line with the other great prophets who came before him. It's not just that he was wise and knew good things to say about God, but that in his person, in the baby born in the manger, that God has placed himself, that God is so fully represented in the Son that the author of Hebrews can say that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God, that he is God in the flesh. This is incredible good news. If you want to know what God's like, you don't need to speculate, you don't need to wonder, you don't need to, to, to try to wrap your mind around him. He's come so near to us, taking on flesh and blood that we could say that everything God has ever wanted to say to the human race, he has said in Jesus, right? The things that he spent thousands of years saying, things that have found obedient and listening hearts, things that have bounced off of deaf ears, he has said most fully in Jesus. If you want to know what he's like, look at the way that Jesus loved, look at the way that he extended mercy and compassion to the hurting and the outcast. If you want to know uh, what he's like, we need only to look at Jesus. And this is incredible. Because if Jesus is the true prophet, then you can know God. You can know him really and truly in a personal way. But the author goes on. He says, Jesus isn't just the greatest prophet. He's also the great high priest. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
Look, the scriptures tell us that, that we have a deep problem as human beings. And that problem isn't just that we don't know God, right? If that was the case, then it would be enough just for Jesus to come and tell us what God's like and everybody go, oh, okay, how nice. But the scriptures paint a sadder picture than that. It's not just that we don't know what God's like. It's that even the stuff about God that we do know, we resist. We push against. We run away from. We rebel against. The scripture's word for this is sin. That even when God has made himself known, that we've said, no, God, we will live our life on our own, according to our own light, according to our own wisdom. We'll seek our own way. And so a problem is created between humanity and God that has to get dealt with. And I think this is true. If we look at our lives, we can understand that our biggest problem isn't the fact that we don't know what to do. It's the fact that we can't seem to do it, right? If you, if, if you look, even at the, did a survey of the religious teachings of the world, you'd find some difference, but broad agreement on the kinds of things that human beings ought to be doing to one another, right? We ought not kill each other, right? We ought not take one another's spouses. We ought not take one another's possessions. We should be truthful and not lie. But the problem isn't that we don't know what to do or what a good life looks like. It's that we have a we're subject to a power that we're not able to do it. We're not able to carry it out. And so just as in the past God had sent prophets to tell his people what he was like, so in the past God had sent priests to make sacrifices, to remind his people that they fell short of his glory, that they fell short of his law, and that ultimately, ultimately a sacrifice was needed to cover over their sins so that they could be forgiven. Now, it was always a little bit far-fetched that the sacrifices of sheep and goats and animals could finally deal with this act of rebellion against God. They were all meant to point us to a great high priest who would come and make a perfect sacrifice. When Jesus had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, even over the manger. The story of the cross casts a shadow. Right, he's born into a barn. Where else would we expect a sacrificial lamb to be born? Born among the animals. Born to die. Born to give his life as a ransom for many. Born to pour his heart out in love. What we see in the manger is the, the, the humility of the Son of God leaving eternity, his father's throne, stepping into history, not just into history in any old birth, but into the most humble of births, living an ordinary life in an out-of-the-way province in Israel. Finally, as if that wasn't going low enough, going even to the point of death on a cross to make purification, to make a washing for all of the sins of you and me, the sins of humanity. And this is good news, because Jesus is the perfect priest offering up a perfect sacrifice. You can know the joy of being accepted by God. Amen. You can know the joy of not wondering what God feels about you, not wondering if God loves you, not wondering what God, uh, if, if at the end of your life God will accept you. Right? Most people in the world live their lives hoping that at the end of the day, the good outweighs the bad of their life. 
And when they appear before God, he says, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're a pretty good guy. Come on in. But the scriptures tell us no. The only way that your judgment day can go from an ominous day in your future to a happy day in your past is when you accept the pure and spotless sacrifice of Jesus to be your priest and your sacrifice. But the good news doesn't just stop there. He's the great prophet. He's the great priest. But more than that even, he is the great king who is made to rule the entire world. Verse 3 tells us that this one, this Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That he's the eternal God who upholds the entire world, keeps the creation from falling back into chaos and formlessness and emptiness. He upholds it. And then, having lived his life, making purifications for sin, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be a father, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is the language of Psalm 2, which was the coronation psalm of Israel's kings. It was the psalm that would be read and sung as Israel's kings took their throne. To reign over Israel. God had sent prophets. God had sent priests. And he had sent kings. To rule his people. To teach them and to lead them. That under them. The world and the people would thrive. And yet uh, their kings were no different than any other kings. Right? What do we know about kings? About dictators? About politicians? That they're supposed to seek the common good above all else. But most of them end up seeking their own good above the common good. And so Israel waited for a king who would come and seek the good of the world, seek the common good over the good of himself, over his own wealth, over his own power. And that's what happens when this one is born in humility, into a manger, that the world receives, as we just sang, when we sang joy to the world, what do we sing? Let the earth receive her king. That that's what's happening. That the true king of the universe is being born there that day. Who will one day rule all things and set every broken thing right again. Everything in this world that is not as it should be. All of the poverty, all of the sin, all of the violence, all of the prejudice, all of the injustice. Everything broken will get made straight again. And that's what we wait for. We wait for Jesus to come and to rule as king. Who is it in the manger? Prophet, priest, and king. He came into the world uh, from a virgin's womb in a way that no one else had ever entered into history. And he left this world through an empty tomb, a way that no one else has ever left history. He entered our world through a door marked no entry. He left out of a door marked no exit. Utterly unique in the history of humanity, born of a virgin, born king, and then ultimately defeating sin and death and leaving behind an empty tomb. This is the incredible good news of who was born in the manger.
because he triumphed over death, because in his life he brought life to bear, through him you can have real, deep, lasting, and abundant life. That gift, that gift of real life through Christ is the ultimate gift that you can receive this Christmas. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you placed your trust and your hope in him? Having done it once, are you continually doing it every day of your life, trusting in him to lead us through this world? You know, let's be honest. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year uh, for many of us on an individual level. Many of us have suffered deep losses this year. Some of us have lost loved ones. Others of us have spent another year battling against the same addictions, the same pain, the same sin that we were battling at the end of 2016. Right in our corporate life, in our common life as a people, we've known stress and anxiety, even despair at times. When you look around you at the world, it does not often look like the king has come and all is made right. That was the problem, the exact same problem that one of America's great poets, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, felt when he sat down to write the poem uh, that he called Christmas Bells that has become uh, made into the hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You may know the opening uh, to this great poem, Made Hymn, as he describes on a Christmas morning in 1863 the, the sound of the, the, the city celebrating Christmas. The poem opens, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. When he wrote those words uh, on a bench on Christmas Day of 1863, he noticed a disconnect between what he celebrates and what the world celebrates at Christmas in his experience of life. Two years earlier, he had buried his wife. Uh, She had died in a fire. He himself had been disfigured trying to put out the fire. A couple years later, his oldest son enlisted in the Union Army. They were from Massachusetts, and he enlisted, came into the Union Army as a lieutenant, desiring to make some good in the midst of this uh, this country torn in half by civil war. So he enlisted in the Army. And in November, he was wounded in a battle taken to a military hospital in Washington, D.C. And his father, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, made the journey to go and sit by his son's bed as he went through surgeries, as he went to try to piece his broken body back together again. And it was there, removed from his home, having buried his wife with his son in the hospital, in his country torn apart by war, that he wrote these words. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. He had a hope, a resilient, deep, and lasting hope because he knew who was in the manger. 
He knew what had invaded this earth when Jesus was born. Let's trust him. Let's trust him, perhaps for the first time tonight, to be our hope of peace with God and of one another and to uphold us in his hands. Let's pray.